Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Hello, everyone. I'm Cam Connor. This is my fourth podcast. I'm here with my son, Chris. So hello, everyone, and we're actually really excited for today's episode because we get to celebrate an amazing accomplishment, an accomplishment I don't think we ever thought would happen. As you know, Dad, we got to number two in the Canadian sports iTunes rankings, and we actually got top five in the States. So I don't know how people are finding this podcast. I think people were excited to hear about your uh, friendship with Roddy Piper and probably the previous episode about Wayne Gretzky. So now that we know people are actually listening to this podcast, we have to keep up uh, the momentum. You ready, Dad? I'm ready. Okay. Where do we start? Okay, well, we actually got a few questions. So the first one is from Adam, and he sent us an email at viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. And uh, it's kind of a long question, but I will read it quickly. Hey, boys, really enjoy the podcast. I am curious if you watch the documentary Ice, Ice Guardians, sorry, which covers enforcers in the NHL. It's good, entertaining, and pretty much throws Bob Probert out as the best ever, which I can't disagree with. This may be one of those How or Gretzky, Lemieux or Orr conversations, but I was curious on your thoughts on the best enforcers ever. Keep up the great work. Well, let me jump right in. You know, anybody can win on any given night. But to me, I agree that uh, Bob Probert, you got to put him up in the top two or three. And why do I do that? Bob would show up just like Dave Semenko. He would show up every night. There's a challenge, he would fight. And then Bob was one of those fighters. He would stand there, and if you want to punch each other for three minutes, he would fight for three minutes. He was never a dirty fighter. He never jumped you from behind. He wasn't a guy who was yipping and yapping at you and calling you names. He did what he had to do. He was quiet. And I think if uh, you talk to any of his teammates over the years, they love Bob and they would all agree. You know, I come from a different era. The boys today, they're huge. When I started in 74, they used to describe me in the paper as the big forward, Cam Connor. And I'm, uh, I'm six, one and a half and about 205, 206. Today, that is the average size of an NHL player. So, you know, when you look at a few years ago, George Zorak, and I believe he was something like six, five and 245 or 250 or thereabouts. Now, those are big boys. I mean, you look at a Chara. Um, good thing he doesn't have a mean streak in him. And what is he, like 6'8 or 6'9? You know, back in my day, there was guys like uh, Dave, Dave Brown. And he played with the Oilers for a while. He played with uh, the Flyers. Tough, tough boy. Pretty glad I never had to cross paths with him. I, I, I hate to think what he might have done to me. And for what about someone that you actually fought? This could be a good full episode on fighting and your different uh, fights that you've been in. But... Who, who's someone you remember as a really tough fighter that you fought with? Well, you know, when I played uh, in the World Hockey, for example, and we all seen that movie Slapshot, 
and they got in the movie the Hanson brothers, and, you know, in reality, they're the Carlson brothers, and that whole team was some some tough boys, Kurt Brackenberry, they, they were a tough team. And so I fought all the Carlson brothers. And, you know, in my opinion, Jack was the toughest um, of all the Carlson brothers. And I remember I got Jack down and I felt like I was on top of a Brahma bull. I said, boy, I'm not letting this guy up. He, he, you can just feel his strength. Um, and again, I've mentioned Ben Wilson, I think, over the past little while when I talk about tough guys. He played in, in, the, in the fly organization, defenseman, stuff as they come. He was a good stand-up fighter, and the only time I fought him is when I was with the Oilers, and I just came off a broken hand. And you can't, you're, really, your, your hand should be in the cast for sure six weeks. And uh, they had my cast off like within three weeks, and next thing you know, I'm playing, and the first game was against the Flyers and Ben Wilson. And I took him out in the boards, right in front of the Oilers bench, and he elbowed me right in the face. I have no choice, you know. I've got to fight the guy. And uh, I can only hit him with one hand because when you take your hand out of a cast, it's like a little girl's hand. And you know if you punch somebody with that hand just out of a cast, you're going to break it again. So I fought him with one hand, and I was able to get a couple uppercuts in, and he got me down and, you know, Thank heavens he was nice to me. He didn't, he didn't uh, thump me too bad that night. But it was actually pretty close. And it's actually, you can Google and see that fight. You know, on any given night, you got guys in Montreal like Larry Robinson. He's a, you know, good-sized guy. But he doesn't have a mean streak. He doesn't like to fight. He doesn't want to fight. But don't get him mad. Because if you start fighting him, you're going to wish you didn't. So, really, Chris, I could go on and on and on. But, uh... On any given night, seriously, back of my day, anybody can beat anybody. Okay, so we also have a Twitter question, and if you want to interact with my dad, his Twitter handle is CamConnorNHL, and this one is from Mitzi, and they ask about uh, the Roddy Piper episode last week. They said that it's uh, well known that Roddy Piper gives a really good promo, and was he always a good talker and speaker in high school? Rod was the best. I think in one of my podcasts when I was talking about Rod, I said he could talk a bird out of a tree. That wasn't an exaggeration. People loved Rod. He was tough, but he never acted tough in the streets. He didn't walk around with a chip on his shoulder. He would rather talk his way out of a fight. And he could. Uh, there were some of the, he used to bounce in a bar in Winnipeg, and some of the tough boys from the other end of town would show up, and these guys were brawlers, they were well known in Winnipeg, and, you know, he never tried to fight them, and he would talk to them, and there was never any trouble ever for the years that Rod bounced in a bar, like, he didn't have to fight as a bouncer, because he was so good with people, he didn't put you on the spot, he didn't try to pretend he was tougher than you, high school. The teachers all loved Rod. He was somebody that you couldn't really get mad at because he had that uh, leave it to beaver smile. Rod could always talk. When I was with him, I tried to keep my mouth shut and stay out of trouble, and Rod could always talk our way out of trouble. Okay, thanks, Dad. And I actually have a question, and this kind of leads into more of the wrestling-themed uh, podcast that we're doing today with our final look back at Roddy Piper. Uh, you talked about the early years with him and we're going to look at more his professional years in wrestling and then the time after he retired and ultimately his passing but uh to do with the wrestling i know that you 
throughout the years got to meet Andre the Giant, and that must have been uh, something else. So if you could talk a little bit about what it was like to meet Andre the Giant. Well, I was living in New York, and Rod came into town. I was a, probably a five-minute drive from the, at the time it was called WWF headquarters in Greenwich, Connecticut. So when Rod came in for business or fighting in Long Island or New Haven, Connecticut or Madison Square Gardens, we would always hook up. So he had asked me, he said, well, let's go for a beer tonight. And he brought some of the wrestlers. And there was, like you said, Andre the Giant, uh, the Hart Brothers were there, Mean Gene Oakland. Um, we always hung out with Cowboy Bob Orton. And I remember sitting at the bar beside Andre the Giant. And I don't think anybody could say that they're used to having a, a gentleman the size of Andre the Giant sitting next to him. His head was as big as a medicine ball. And I remember he'd order some kind of drink that came in a glass. And he would put his hands around that glass. And you couldn't even see the glass in his hands. And his fingers, I look at him. They looked like dill pickles. They were just unbelievable. And um, when you're talking to Andre, at least my experience, I think when you get to be that big, and I, what was he, like 500 pounds? When you get to be the size of Andre, I think your vocal cords aren't that coordinated because it's hard to understand them. And, you know, it, it was just neat being next to a guy that size. And so, yeah, that was, that was, that was. That was uh, quite an experience that I've never forgot. Okay, Dad, so I think it's time to wrap up our podcast with Roddy Piper with this second part. This might be a little tough to talk about, but I know you had a lot of great memories with him over the last 20, 30, 40 years. So why don't we start with uh, you both kind of went your separate ways to pursue your careers, and how did that go? Well, you know... When I uh, left Flint Flon Bombers, I ended up, instead of going to the NHL, I went to the World Hockey, and I played for a team called Phoenix Roadrunners in the World Hockey Association. So when I was living in Phoenix, Rod was, you know, he was like 20, 21, 22, and he was just trying to make his mark in the wrestling world. He would be driving from place to place on a no-name circuit, and when you're just a new guy... And they hadn't really discovered, you know, Rod's ability to talk. Because, I mean, when you look at his Piper pit, unbelievable the way Rod presented himself for that. It was just really interesting. And so Rod would show up in Phoenix, and uh, I was making some very good money back in those days. Very good. And, uh, Rod and I, we'd go out, and we'd have beers. We usually did, and talk. And, and Rod did so much for me growing up. He gave me confidence that I lacked. And, and I really do believe he was one of the reasons that I made it in professional hockey. He came along at the right time of my life, and he made me feel I was better than I was. And I played that way. So when he was in Phoenix, like I know he was making nothing. And I said to Rod, hey, Rod, hey, let me give you some coin. I said, I uh, wouldn't even make a dent in my piggy bank here. You're my buddy. And Rod was so proud. He would not take any money from me and believe me. This would be nothing I'd ever hold over his head or I'd ever bring up again. It would make me feel good for me to be able to help my friend out and give him some cash to, uh, you know, help him out. But he was too proud. Like, if he offered me cash, I might have probably said, sure, buddy. But he wasn't that type of guy. He wouldn't take my money no matter what. And so 
you know, we we spent time together in Phoenix, and uh, and then I went to Houston Arrows from Phoenix, and Rod and I we lost track of each other when I got to when I got to Houston from Phoenix, and I would say you know I kind of wondered about where my buddy was, but it was pretty hard to track each other down. We didn't have cell phones back in those days, and his parents had moved, and really it would have been up to Rod to try to track me down by getting a hold of my parents in Winnipeg. But uh, like I said, four or five years went by. I thought about Rod quite a bit. We each went on with our life. And uh, unfortunately, I got sent to the Rangers farm team in New Haven, Connecticut. So I was down in the minors in the American Hockey League, and I saw a poster up at the rink. And they were advertising the wrestlers that are coming in in the next night or two. And I said, Roddy Piper, look at that. He's back. So we were on the road that day. So I asked the head of security for the New Haven Coliseum, it was called. I said, Rod and I are good friends. Could you please, you know, bump into Rod and let him know that, uh, you know, I'm okay. And here's my number if he wants to get a hold of me. Then, you know, I told the... The, the head of security that we would get back late that night but I wouldn't be at the match well when I talked to the head of security the next day he had said that Rod was so excited that he had the PA announcer in the New Haven Coliseum announce uh, Camp Connor please go to Sunchacha room please go even though I wasn't in the building so Rod wanted to see where I sat in the dressing room so the security guy opened up our dressing room and went in there and uh, Rod uh he had the wrestlers that were on the card that night sign a hockey stick for me. So they all signed uh, the hockey stick for me. And he gave the head of security his contact information. I just got to interrupt. Do you still have this hockey stick? You know what? I do have the hockey stick, but the problem was he wrote um, in ink. And that doesn't last too long. You, you know, you need a Sharpie or something. And so... He, I do have it, but the names have faded. That would have been neat to have, for sure. It was, uh, again, we're back to our old selves again. and So it's interesting, because probably right around that time, uh, maybe a little bit later, Roddy Piper started one of the iconic bits of his career, which is, or was, Piper's Pit. What did you think about that? In my opinion, I think that's really what Rod was all about. You know, he was a little man in in a big man's game. And so, I don't, like you said last time, I thought he was a world champ, but he, he never did win the championship. I think where his fame came from is, is, is his ability to speak. And, and so much of what he did in Piper's Pit, it just came to him. He didn't really, I mean, there was some, sometimes, I think, some of the things were choreographed. But if you know Rod, Rod, he's more of a spontaneous guy, and he thinks on his feet. He thinks very quickly. And, you know, the thing is, when you're on television, they can do it again. If he's made a mistake, well, they'll redo it again. Uh, Rod was unbelievable in Piper's Pit. And I really mean it, not because he's my buddy. I think he was the best. He he was a natural, and he was funny at the stuff that he would say would just come to him. So, yeah, I, I think he was great at Piper's Pit. And do you have any memories? I know that you were invited to watch a few of his matches. And did you actually get to go to WrestleMania? There was some important match of his well, that you watched. I went in Long Island, New York, in Nassau Coliseum, it's called. That's where the Islanders used to play out of. Uh, Rod gave my wife and I, Sherilyn, um, some tickets to a match where he was actually boxing Mr. T. You know, back in those days, 
wrestling never, they never admitted it. Like we used to say to Rod, Rod, that's fake, isn't it? And Rod would get so mad if you call wrestling fake. And then as years go by, he started saying, okay, it's not, well, it's sort of fake, but we call it choreographed. So, but he wasn't at that point where he was going to admit it. But I fought Rod enough time with, you know, street fights and boxing gloves on. So I know what he could do. And when I saw him in the ring with Mr. T, I knew right away that wasn't the guy that I fought before. So I knew right then and there for 100% certainty that uh, that was choreographed. Because if Rod would have let go um, the way he could fight, Mr. T wouldn't have had a chance at all. So that was one of my more interesting fights. I was in the fifth row. And Billy Crystal was, you know, in the row in front of me. And so there was a lot of celebrities there. And, of course, it was sold out. So speaking of all these fightings and the fact that Rod was your friend, did you ever consider getting into the wrestling world, especially after you retired from hockey? Funny you mention that because I ended my career. Um, I, I hurt my back really bad. And uh, I had trouble. I remember, Chris, when you were a little boy. Mom wasn't home, and you ran out into the street, and I couldn't do a thing about it. I couldn't get there. I couldn't run. I could hardly walk. And uh, so it took years before the body started uh, healing itself, and I could get back to normal again. And that should be another episode topic yeah. is why you retired and everything yeah. that you had to go yeah. through. Yeah, and believe me, there's the, a story yeah. there. And his name's Craig Patrick, so that will be another day. So, Chris... You know, to answer your question about, uh, did I think about maybe wrestling? Rod asked me if uh, I'd be interested. He said, it'd be great. He said, let's you and I do a tag team against a couple other wrestlers. And he said, we can make some money. And I said, Rod, absolutely not. I just got over this back injury. And one pile drive or one body slam or Andre the Giant or somebody of his size falling on me. I said, no way I ever want to go through that back injury again. And I didn't care what kind of money they offered me. So I, I said, thank you. It would have been fun, but no thank you. So before we go into uh, the topic of the last time that you met Rod, are there any memories uh, throughout the years that we didn't cover that you well, could bring up? Just some fun yeah. facts. Well, there's just different things that, uh, you know, I don't know if it's of any interest to anybody else, but I wrote down a few bullets of things that just pop in my mind when I think of Roddy Piper. A.K. real name was Rod Toombs. Um, I remember when he came to our house in New York and he'd sleep over and he'd get up. It was kind of, I don't know, I can't speak for anybody else, but I don't sleep with any clothes on. And when I saw Rod get up. We don't need to know that, but well, keep going. Well, no, the point is Rod got up and he wears pe penguin pajamas with penguins all over. And it just didn't seem right that a tough guy like him wear penguin pajamas that that always made me chuckle and he and it wasn't just that night we'd be on the road somewhere in a hotel and he wears penguin pjs i think i've actually seen pictures because you thought that was so ridiculous <laughs> yeah. so i have seen pictures but we won't post them oh, out of respect <laughs> i used i used to chirp them all the time about those pjs but uh and you know I, I think back when when we were living in New York and Rod, again, would come by to the New York area. And uh, I would take him to the hospital. There was various hospitals that I was scheduled to go talk to people. Um, 
And guys that I played hockey with knew that I was buddies with Rod, and their kids were a big wrestling fan, said, can I bring Rod over to meet the kids? And I kind of felt bad because everybody wanted a piece of Rod. And, you know, I think with myself, I didn't care. He was a, a popular wrestler. He was just my buddy from Winnipeg. But, you know, I would ask him because I know that somebody else that I know and their kids really wanted to meet him. So Rod would kind of say, ah, okay, let's do it. And we go over and visit some of my buddies and their kids. And then when we go to the hospital, that was kind of interesting because we went up to, there was in some of the hospitals, there were certain people that we went to see. And then all of a sudden word get around in the hospital that not so much me, but Roddy Piper was in there. And the kids come out of, there was oh, a gazillion kids in the hallways, in people's rooms, wherever Rod went. And they want autographs. And so Rod's going to, He's going to sign everything he can. But the two of us, spelling isn't our strong suit. And somebody would say, hey, could you sign it too? And he'd throw a name out or she'd throw a name out. And Rod would kind of slyly say, how do you spell that? And I'd go, I don't know. So we both would chuckle and Rod would do his best to try to spell somebody's name. You should tell the story of, what was that, like 15 years ago, 10 years ago, where you helped uh, Rod in Toronto at one of his big... Comic-Con type uh, events. Yeah, Rod asked me to come down there and help him out. He was, there was, there was a lot of name people at this. I, to name a few, there was Linda Blair, there was uh, Leonard Nimoy, and what's Captain Kirk? Uh, William Shatner? William Shatner. There was that little mini-me, I think that's his name, Vern somebody. Austin Powers. What a little pain that guy is, that's all I gotta say. Um, and there, there was quite a few other celebrities there. I think Alice Cooper was there. And they were signing autographs. So Rod just needed some help. He had uh, one other fellow. So he flew me down from Edmonton to Toronto. We spent two and a half days him signing autographs. And then he asked me to go back to New York with him. You know, he gave me a good reason. So I said I'd go. We stayed in a hotel right across the street from LaGuardia. And Rick Flair was staying there. So we went and had beer with Rick Flair and what a nice man Rick is. So down to earth. Um, that was really enjoyable, enjoyable meeting Rick Flair. So Rod's, uh, Rod's got a match coming up now. He's had both hips replaced. He had told me at one point that, you know, his wrestling career was over. Then the next thing you know, I see him on TV fighting again with two replaced hips. And he just said that Ted Turner offered him so much money, he had to come back. So this match was in Madison Square and... So, I mean, I used to play out of Madison Square, so, I mean, I'm familiar with it. So, he got me a pass. And you have to wear the pass all the time. So, I got down at the dressing room level, but I would never go into the dressing room. I just kind of stood out and, uh, like, off to the side, just next to this hallway when I was waiting for Rod. I think everybody knows who John Cena is. And that is one big boy. And so, I'm standing off the main walkway, off to the side, and I've got my pass. It's it's a stick-on, and I have it on my, like, thigh on my leg. I didn't have it on my chest, visible. And he had to go out into the ring, so he was getting himself all psyched up. And I'm not even anywhere near this guy. And he's walking with his head down, and he went off the main path area, and then he come up, and he bumps into me, and he says to me, get the F out of the way, what the F, you know, you doing here, I'm going to kick this, and so out of you, and he went berserk on me, 
And he said, if you're still here when my match is over, I'm coming after you. And I don't, I don't really know where his head's at. You know, I watched the Bellas, it's called on TV and his wife and, uh, nice lady. And he acts like a gentleman, but he wasn't a gentleman that day. I guarantee you, you know, I'm in my fifties now and John Cena wants to beat me up. And I'm saying, well, okay, it wouldn't be a wise move because I'm not in shape anymore. And, uh, that guy doesn't have a ounce of body fat. So you you honestly didn't say anything to instigate this at all? No, I give you my word. I just I know it's hard to believe, but uh, maybe when I was younger, but not in my fifties. I know better, especially him. This is what he does for a living. So, anyway, so I'm a little nervous now because you know he's gone out to fight, and uh, I remember Rod walked by. I said, Rod, he was gonna get me. Rod never fought any battles for me, and I know me when I was younger, you know, in my prime. I probably would have said, I mean, I would have fought him. I, I'm pretty sure I would have, but I would have got the first few shots in. I don't know what would happen after that, but I would have. I probably was stupid enough to fight him, but not when I'm in my 50s. So I'm a little worried now. And so he fights and he comes back and he kind of looks at me and he heads down the hallway towards the dressing rooms and I'm thinking, uh-oh. So again, Rod didn't care. I'm on my own. So, I don't know, half hour goes by and Rod comes out and says, Ken, why don't you come in the dressing room? instead of standing out here. And all the wrestlers changed together. And I said, well, Cena in there? He said, no, he's not in there. I said, okay. So I went in there and all the wrestlers were in there. And there was no room beside Rod. So I, I, I remember sitting beside this guy. He was He's over 500 pounds. He was a big guy. And we started talking. And, and I was still a little worried about Cena. I said, Cena, is he gone already? He goes, no, he's probably around somewhere. Why? And I told him what had happened. He said to me, I could be a little crazy. He said, you just stick with me, he said, and I'll uh, I'll take care of you. Man, that guy had to go up to take a pee. I, I was thinking I should go with him in case Cena came in. But I hung back, and uh, as it worked out, Cena did come in, and he looks at me, and I'm going, oh, my Lord, but at least I got this big, big fella who's going to help me. Anyways, I guess Cena started relaxing. I don't really know what happened, buddy. He didn't come after me, which uh, I'm grateful for, for sure. But, uh, yeah, that was my trip with Rod in there into Madison Square. I haven't forgot that. He still scares me. And, you know, when I think about, uh, you know, things that he's told me over the years, well, one of the things with Rod, I remember when we would go out, whether it was for dinner, lunch, a beer, and if I had some friends with me, you know, from the New York area that wanted to meet Rod. You know, Rod always felt that he had to pay. Every time he'd be the guy pulling out his money to pay at the end of the night. And he's buying for two, three, four, five guys. You know, I'd say, Rod, you don't have to pay. No, 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 I'll get it. But, you know, it started to bother me after a while because there wasn't many people that were willing to say, you know what, Rod, don't. So I made sure after a while that, you know, Rod... I got money too. You don't always have to buy. You know, I know you're well off, but you don't have to buy all the time. So um, I know Rod was, I don't know what the word is, grateful. I don't even think that's the word, but I think he respected me that I wasn't letting him pay for the, you know, the, the food or the or the booze. Um, so he was pretty generous to a fault. One of the things I remember about wrestling is Cowboy Bob Orton. I don't know if he was a manager or, or tag team partner, but they used to hang around quite a bit, and Rod would bring Cowboy Bob around, and Bob was a hell of a nice guy. And, uh, 
you know, when I first met him, he had this cast on his hand, you know, up his arm to his rear as high as your elbow. And uh, he broke a bone uh, wrestling. And, uh, you know, every time I saw him, he had it on. Then I didn't see I didn't see Cowboy for over a year. And then I ran into him somewhere, and he still had his cast on. And I said, Cowboy, you still got that prop on? He said, prop? He said, you know what? If I don't fight, if us as wrestlers, if we don't fight, we don't get paid. And, uh, you know, in hockey, you get hurt, you get the heel, you get pretty good medical attention, and then when you're healthy, for the most part, you come back and you continue. But with Cowboy, he said, you know, it's been a year or two that he had this cast on, and um, he said, I have to fight. So he said they'd set the bone so it's lined up, and he'd get in the ring, and then after X amount of fights, the bone would no longer be in place, so they had to reset it again. And I always felt bad for those wrestlers. Uh, Rod had told me that um, at one point, and I'm assuming this is accurate, he said that he fought 93 nights in a row in 93 different cities. That's going to burn anybody out. And Rod's, as I've said many times before, he's not a big man as compared to the guys he's fighting. And so he took a beating in there. He'd come over to the house and he'd be sitting on the couch and we'd get up to go somewhere. He couldn't get up. I had to pull him off the couch. His back was all screwed up. He'd have me walk on his back. To try. Now, I thought I'd hurt him, but he said, no, you got him, man. Straighten my back out. His wrists were screwed up. Uh, these guys fought in pain all the time. Like those guys, I take my hat off to them. You know, Rod made millions in the fighting business, but knowing what I know, what Rod told me, I would never ever do that for a living like not a chance it's a such a cutthroat business but they don't have any off season as i said earlier if you get hurt you don't get paid if you don't fight uh, they don't have a a union uh, that's a tough life those wrestlers and that's probably why he tried to branch out to acting and he was really successful i don't know how many movies he made but i'm guessing at least 50 and he's probably most well-known for They Live. So I guess you probably weren't surprised that he could also do well in acting. No. Again, you know, it's... Uh, I think Well, that's what he would like to do. Um, I think you need to get a, a good role and you need to be the best. Because there's lots of actors that are B actors and C actors. And uh, I think it takes a while to hone your skills for these kind of things. And so I think, I think Rod would ended up to be a better actor. I don't think there's anybody that could take uh, the rock spot. That guy's outstanding. But I think that's what Rod, Rod was aiming for, was to get to that level. Yeah, but Rod probably also paved the way to show the industry that uh, wrestlers can act. Well, you're probably right. right about that. You're probably right about that. Rod, uh, yeah, he was. Uh, they broke the mold after that guy. He was a pretty talented man. And he was, uh, the thing when I say he's talented, thing is he was modest man that guy there's so much he could do as tough as he was he never had to prove anything to anybody else and uh you just never even know he's in the room he wasn't looking for attention and uh that was a good man so then uh which is probably a highlight for us is how would it have been in the summer of 2015 you get a call from roddy piper uh, that he's planning to write a book about the early years of his life, a really honest book 
looking at uh, the ups and downs, and he thought that you would be one of the key people that he should talk to to help remember what his early years were like. And as you all can hear, my dad has a good memory and he can tell a good story. So why don't we go back to a couple of years ago uh, when you heard from Rod? Well, he called me and he said that uh, he was writing a book. You know, he he's had many concussions, Rod, and so he's he's forgotten a lot of uh, the things that happened growing up. And uh, in fact, I remember Rod and I used to be bouncers in a restaurant. It was uh, a tough restaurant, and uh, we used to fight guys, um, and we got paid. <laughs> it's pretty funny looking back, but we were teenagers, and we got paid but with cheeseburgers they didn't give us any money we bounced in a restaurant and got paid in cheeseburgers that's pretty crazy so rod he just he just said you know cam i and he called himself he said you know i'm just stupid and and i've said before rod was not stupid he had a lot of concussions and that obviously affects your memory there's a lot of things that i have forgotten for sure but what i do remember it's probably more than rod remembers so he asked if I could help him. He brought his writer in. And uh, so we came in and spent a couple of days together with the writer, going over just what it was like growing up uh, in Winnipeg. And uh, we went over, you know, many of our stories together. So, you know, it was a treat to spend a couple of days with Rod. And, uh, you know, he had told me, I don't know if he was just talking, but he said one of the things that he didn't want to do is when he get his act together in the States, get out of wrestling, and he was going to open a, and I forgot the name of it. It was a franchise that he had a friend of his that owned these franchises. And they were going to give him a franchise. And he wanted to move to Calgary or Edmonton, he told me, and open his franchise. Now, Rod has had some dreams before, and he's talked about things, and it's never come off. So I don't know if that was just something he was throwing out there, or he was serious. But that's what he was talking about when he was in Edmonton. And he said, you know, he doesn't really have any close friends which I find hard to believe, but Rod knows that uh, I, I am a friend, and I don't care what he did for a living. He was always my buddy, and I would never forget that. So, And so when he uh, when you met him uh, a couple years ago, it was almost like you were reunited again. You spent the whole two days together. Did it feel like yeah. you were both uh, 16 again? Well, it did. It uh, You know, there's everybody's got pressures at work, and... and Spending the two days with Rod, I forgot about work. Um, it, 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 it was just, uh, you're exactly right, it's just like the old days, and uh, Rod could make me laugh without even trying, and uh, he was good for my soul, for sure, to see him, and, and hopefully I, it was the same for him with seeing me. And I actually have a chance to tell a story, because growing up, I did like hockey, but I always really liked wrestling. I thought it was just really good entertainment and the different characters and everything like that and I always enjoyed Roddy Piper and I did see him around growing up but I never really got to know him so uh, the day he arrived my dad sent a text and he said Rod's here in uh, the lobby of the hotel you should come by so I remember coming by probably right after after lunch and I was just planning to stay for half an hour and I think that turned into five or six hours because he's just such a, a friendly guy and uh, it was pretty intimidating at first because here's one of uh, these one of my idols that I 
finally got to meet and he didn't disappoint. I know a lot of times you meet someone who's famous or someone that you've looked up to and uh, they're the exact opposite of what you thought they would be. But he was extremely friendly, if not a, a little bit shy himself. But then as soon as he felt comfortable with me, he was definitely, he was definitely not shy. And I remember a conversation that he had with me, and I'm bringing this up just in case his kids happen to be listening. He was saying how how much he loved his kids, and he said that he regretted that he was on the road so much and that he didn't get to spend as much time with them, and he thought, maybe I should have even have been a stay-at-home dad or I should have worked a 9-to-5 job. And so it sounded like he had a, a bit of regret And I remember saying to him that the reason he has such a good relationship with his children is because he worked so hard for them and that if he was home, he probably would have been miserable because he wasn't doing what he loved to do. And it seemed like it actually struck a chord with him. And I could see him thinking for a second. He said, thank you for saying that and that he actually hadn't thought of it that way. So that's one moment which I couldn't believe here I am giving advice to Roddy Piper that it seemed like, you know, maybe a little bit sunk in. And I, I think I think he just didn't realize the impact that he had on people. And that's why this book was really cathartic for him. I remember uh, we were going up to his room and we probably should have taken the elevator, but we took the stairs and I couldn't believe how tough it was for him to get up 10, probably 10 steps. And I think that just shows the toll that wrestling took on his body. But he didn't complain and he didn't say, uh, let's take the elevator. He just took his time, got up the stairs. And then he started, uh, he said, what's your phone number? I'm going to text you. And so of course I gave it. And then for, for the next month until he passed, a month or two, every day I would get texts from Roddy Piper and it ranged from crazy conspiracy theories that were actually pretty interesting. I don't know how true they were, but I definitely would Google uh, what he would say about 9-11 and aliens and different uh, topics. And then he would talk about how important being a dad is. And I remember the last text that I received from him, it was on July 30th at 8 p.m. And he basically said how he wanted... uh, how a dream wrestling match would be my dad and I against Colt, his son, and Roddy Piper. We would have lost. I was going to say uh, maybe his dream, but uh, it wouldn't have lost. It would have been a quick dream because we would have <laughs> we would we would have lost. In the, although I would have uh, tried to be sneaky and maybe throw some salt in their eyes or something like that. I think he passed that evening, so I I know I wasn't the last person he texted or, or talked to, but. Um, it was pretty special to have a little bit of a relationship for for a month or two, and he was a pretty special person. So, Dad, do you have any last memories of yeah of Rod? Yeah, you got to bring some memories back. And and when you talk about his last days, I was in Calgary, and I want to say it was on a Wednesday, and uh, <clears throat> he was troubled about some things, and he was texting and phoning and. You know, I still have his last messages to me um, the day before he died. And, um, so I said, well, I'll tell you what, Rod, I got to go right now. But let's uh, let's connect. Uh, let's." He says, I'll call you on Thursday, he said. And, uh, you know, uh, and well, maybe we'll talk again Friday. He said, I'll, I'll, we'll figure something out. 
And then that was the last I heard of him. He, he just, I, I don't know, I think you told me that he had passed. And, you know, he knew it too, and I knew. He's not going to live a full life. Like, there wasn't a chance, because those wrestlers, they, they, I've said it already, they've got a tough life. And I think there's a there's statistics that say most of the wrestlers that are in, you know, the name guys that go through whatever they got to go through to make it where they're at, they die between, I think it's 35 and 45. So many of them have died early in life. And I remember when Rod was like 58 and I was with him and I was thinking, I don't see this guy making it to 60. Like, not a hope in hell. And, and I believe he was 61, if I'm not mistaken, 60 or 61. So he, he got a little older than I thought he'd, he'd live, but, uh, Again, he, uh, and the last thing, when I think about Rod, you know, and I keep saying he's not a big man. When I played in Flint Flon at 19 years old, uh, Rod was born, you know, the same year in, in April, and I was, my birthday's in August, so he's a little older than me. And I weighed 191 pounds at 19 years old. I was uh, pretty solid. I didn't have any body fat. And Rod weighed 181 at the same age. I never forgot that. And if you look at his upper body and mine, we're both, you know, decent shape. But the difference was is because I I played football and soccer. And I played tennis and uh, baseball and obviously hockey. So my legs were bigger than his. And Rod played a little football and and he boxed. So the 10 pounds difference was in the legs. And that was always something that uh, bothered him that uh, his legs were skinny. And I remember one time we were working out at a YMCA in Winnipeg. And we worked our asses off in there. And we were in the showers after. And there was a guy right across from us with the biggest thighs that we ever saw. We're in the shower. Rod's not shy. He walked over and he said, excuse me, man. He said, how do you get thighs at? Because he wanted to get bigger legs. Well, the guy's name was Jim Heighton. And he was uh, played for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So he was a football player, and so, you know, that's why he had such big legs. But, uh, yeah, so Rod was 181, and I was 191. So as we wrap up this podcast, I guess we'll just, you can give your final words about Rod. I just want to say that the the month and the, the day that I got to spend with him, he never talked about himself. He just talked about how much he loved his kids over and over. Yeah, it was like that. Never did talk about himself. When he died, I had Colt's phone number because I always knew. I said, Rod, I got to. Something happens to you. How do I ever find out about a funeral? Because his home phone number, the phone would ring to the barn where they had the horses. So he was not the easiest guy to get a hold of. And if, you know, the family didn't recognize my phone number, they might not pick up the phone. So I got Colt's cell number. And when he died, I got a hold of Colt, and he gave me the date and the time and where the funeral is going to be, and it was in Portland. And uh, it just so happens that there was uh, the WWE was in town, too, for that same day as Rod's funeral. So a lot of the wrestlers showed up, and uh, that girl wrestler, I think her name was China. I remember her sitting just behind me, and she was crying, crying quite a bit, and and I don't recognize the wrestlers like my son would have, but it's pretty weird when you're walking behind guys wearing suits and they're and they're 
Like, the backs are, like, three feet wide or four feet thick. They were massive men in suits. They were just monsters. So I remember looking at them just saying, man, am I glad they don't know how to skate. So, you know, we, we had the funeral. It was well attended, and uh, people got up and spoke, and lots of kids got up and spoke, and which would have been so hard to do, you know, when you lose a loved one. Um, I shed a few tears there for sure, and I, I'm very glad I got to pay my respects to Rod. Just when I look back, just to sum it up, Rod was one of a kind. He had a great energy about him. I learned so much from him. He taught me how to treat people better than I did. He, he treated everybody well. I learned so many lessons from him. And I'll be very, I am, I'm grateful that I crossed paths with him. As I said earlier, he changed my life. And uh, I've said it before, Rod gave a lot more than he took in this world. And uh, I, I miss this, I miss Rod quite a bit. Well, thanks for sharing over two podcasts uh, a bit about Roddy Piper and what he meant to you and some behind-the-scenes stories that a lot of people would not have known. He seems like a, a great guy. But next episode, we're back to hockey. It's uh, hockey season's right around the corner. I think that a few people have been asking about some, some more current stories or information so the podcast will always be about hockey stories in the past and different things that you've experienced but we will pepper in some current current stories so one area that i think you could cover is one of your friends george McVie, who's now the gm of the new las vegas team and you could talk next week about what you think their prospects are i know it's always tough when it's your first year but it sounds like George McPhee is a pretty impressive person. Yeah, I'll be happy to talk about George. And George and I go back uh, to the Ranger organization. And the uh, first time I met George, he was actually in traction in, I believe it was called the Lennox Hill Hospital. And he was on our farm team. And uh, a fellow who was I was tight with, Mike Backman, he said to me, he said, you know, we got this guy named George McPhee. And he's laying in the hospital, and nobody in the Ranger organization, including management, you know, Craig Patrick and them, none of them have gone up to see him. And uh, he's and Mike Backman wasn't living in New York; he was on the farm team. So he asked me if I could go up. So I didn't know George. I went up and uh, saw George in traction, and uh, we were friends ever since then. So we'll talk about things like that. And you have a great uh, photo from back then. Not when he was in traction, but uh, back when you, when the three of, when you and uh, Steve Martinson, I think that was That's his correct. name, yeah. you have a picture on your Twitter account that a lot of people have enjoyed. So if anyone's curious of a, a George McPhee picture from the early 80s, check out uh, my dad's Twitter, Cam Connor NHL. So until next week, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. <laughs>